Hey everyone, I'm Ben Parker here to tell you that the Stat Sheet Podcast is presented by Boxscore Network. Boxscore Network is your one-stop shop for all things NFL podcasts. You want game analysis, betting lines, hot takes, or fantasy advice? Well, check out Boxscore Network and follow Boxscore Network on Twitter at Score Network for updates. Welcome back in, everybody, to the Stat Sheet Podcast. The privilege is always to have you on board. The entire group is here. Simon Short, our our beloved producer of everything on this uh, podcast, is here. Ronan Summers is here. Um, The Raiders beat the Packers. The Jaguars up in the Bills. 49ers over the Cowboys. And the Bears beat the Commanders. We're going to cover all of that and much, much more. Thank all of you for being with us, as always. Simon, we just saw a close football game. I'll let you set the table here on Monday night and, and kind of lay it out for us. But uh, the Raiders do get uh, the victory over the Packers here. Yeah, Ben, um, for somebody that grew up watching AFC North football and still to this day can watch a 13-9 to game and think it was exciting, um, when I watch the other 28 teams in the NFL – this isn't a game that I want to see. Um, I, I've got I've got a team that has supposedly invested a lot into their offense financially. I've got a team that's invested a lot into their offense uh, via the draft. This was not a this was not a particularly fun game. Watching two offenses who have been struggling on the ground decide this was the week they were going to re-identify themselves as running teams and see it to mixed effectiveness and then have a couple have some quarterbacks throw some wildly uncharacterizable uh, that's not even a word but that's what I'm going to go with interceptions um 17 13 on, on a Monday night after after a week of football not not really where I want to be not really where I want to be Ronan, Ronan what were your kind of initial thoughts coming out of this one well, speaking of not really where I want to be, um, Jordan Love, we need to probably address this because this was not his best showing. Um, stepping out there on primetime Monday Night Football, all the eyeballs were on him, and he went out there 16 for 30, a buck 82, no touchdowns, three interceptions. It was not a strong showing out there by Jordan Love. He just – he looked uneasy. Um, that Packers offense in general, I don't know about you guys, but the sense that I get from this team – is that there's a lack of urgency. Um, It seems like they're kind of sitting back and waiting for the defense to mess up. And I I think to a certain extent, that's fine, right? Because you see teams like the 49ers kind of excel at that. But the quarterback play mixed with the lack of experience at the skill positions, I'm just not really sold on this Packers offense. And 13 points tonight against a Raiders defense that – I think going into this week, we were kind of expecting, you know, maybe we can uh, see what this Packers offense is made of. Them getting you know, kind of strangleholded, not what I was necessarily expecting, Ben. Yeah, me neither. I, I really thought we'd see more offense from the Packers tonight. And to be honest, and Simon, I'll let you jump in on this here, the Raiders could have, could have won this by more. They actually kind of sort of tried to Raider this game away, if you will. And really, I thought what kept the Packers in this game was their their defensive front line, which is an above-average front line, 
against an under-average uh, Raiders offensive line. I really thought that was the thing that kept the Packers in this all night. Uh, but this game could have been much worse, really, all things considered. Yeah, if you had told a Packers fan through the first five weeks, maybe save for that first week against the Chicago Bears, that their defense was going to be the unit carrying the offense, um, I don't think many Packers fans would have felt very good about that. This isn't a particularly dynamic defense, but you're 100% right, Ben. When when the offense put the defense in bad situations over and over again, whether it was because of three and outs or because of turnovers, the defense stepped up in, in a lot of ways. And, and you could talk about the defensive backs and um, to, some issues where they gave up a lot of space or maybe took poor angles on tackles or, or maybe let running backs kind of um, or, or let the Raiders run game kind of get to their level and, and get beyond. But uh, that defensive front uh, really, really definitely had a good game. Um, Rashawn Gary leading the way. He got a lot of pressures, got I think one sack and one tackle for loss um, in, in this one. He was behind the line of, line of scrimmage a lot, though. Made life hard on, on Jimmy G, who through his what three interceptions he already he already has seven on the season um and just just over and over again whether it was Kenny Clark stepping up um or or Preston Smith he had he had a a sack and a tip ball I think on the same drive yeah the defensive front for Green Bay looked really strong in this one um which the offense definitely needed and and maybe owes them um, a, a beverage or two after this one, to, despite the loss. So maybe there's not a lot of that going around. Um, but yeah, this, this, this was a tough go for Jordan Love in the offense. And Ben, I'm going to kick it back to you real quick for this one, because I'm curious. Um, Zach Tom has played pretty well over there at right tackle. I just did a quick search back into, uh, and the, PFF isn't everything, but just to see what their grades have been for him in, in a couple of these games we've seen. Last week, the Green Bay Packers faced the Detroit Lions. They have Aiden Hutchinson, who we've been talking about having a really good season so far. He's over there at that left defensive end position. And this one, Max Crosby, on that same side of the field, we saw what kind of game he had being the player he is. Um, I don't know if it necessarily translates into a lot of stats. I haven't looked at how what he necessarily put up in terms of numbers for this one. Um, but you felt his presence there. And I think Zach Tom's holding up fine. But do you think there's something to the war, the battle in the trenches for Green Bay over on that right side or Jordan Love and maybe where his vision is being, being that right-hand quarterback, so not his blind side giving him some issues, but if he can see that dynamic defensive end coming, could could that be tripping him up a little bit? What do you think about that? I think you're 100% right. I'm sure that's having an effect because, listen, as, as good as we all think Jordan Love, you know, might have the potential to be, and as you know, as long as he's been in that Packers system, he still doesn't have a lot of games under his belt. So he's still getting used to, you know, full-speed NFL stuff. And when you've got – listen, this has been the worst game so far for that Packers offensive line because of Max Crosby. I mean, it wasn't because of anybody else in that Raiders defensive line. It was all about Crosby tonight. They were – you know, they were chipping him, they were double teaming him, they were everything in him, and it still wasn't working on a lot of these plays. It works sometimes, but yeah, that's a big deal. It's it's very distracting as a quarterback to be trying to throw the football and have, you know, this madman, this crazy man, you know, uh, Crosby coming at you the entire day. Mm -hmm. That's brutal. Tom, Tom is fine out there at tackle, but he cannot handle an elite defensive end, and that's where you start to see the problems, like tonight, you know. 
he's fine on an average week, but you know, handling a, a top guy like a like a, a Crosby is especially a guy who can get off the edge like Crosby because Crosby's uber quick off the edge. That's a real problem. Hats off to Zach Tom though for the best acting job I have seen this whole season. <laughs> Early in the game when he got shoved in the back, he literally jumped up in the air and went vertical on a complete NBA soccer style belly flop. I love it, man. That, that was great. It was fantastic. Got the penalty call too. Someone check his vert because I haven't seen an offensive lineman with that much uh, air <laughs> under them in, in quite a while. That, that was, that, yeah, that was good stuff. That was good stuff. Yeah. Speaking of vertical leaps, you know, was it Yosh Nyman? I think that got the, uh, mm-hmm. the tip on the 50 yard field goal as well. So, I mean, these Packers offensive linemen showing their athleticism tonight in a couple of uh, unusual ways. And, and I mean, that's, you know, the, the field goals, you, you, you know, taking this all the way back to the original question as the points left on the board by the Raiders. I mean, two missed field goals and those three interceptions by Jimmy G. And the, this was the kind of stuff that we were worried about with the Raiders. We we're, I mean, we were worried about their defense and we could talk more about, I mean, the, the way, their back seven played the Raiders in this one because they were they were tough, man. I mean, they're not the most skilled group overall, but they were tough. And and there was a lot of across the NFL this week in a number of games that we won't even get to touch on. But it felt like there was just a lot of assignment sound defenses, a lot of gap sound players, a lot of guys filling where they need to fill, a lot of guys attacking to the ball. Um not a lot of busted coverages. It felt like the defense finally was able to to take a breath after those first four weeks and and um, adjust to what they're seeing from the offense. Ronan, do you feel like you kind of saw that in this one by the Raiders who haven't been a good defense, but also just across the NFL this weekend? I do. Uh, I think this past week, I think you're right on the money. Um, there was definitely a trend of just very sound, uh, fundamental football being played really throughout, like you said, the entire week. Um you know, ranging from that that London game that we'll touch on, um, you know, here and there, all the way till I mean, Sunday night football, right, with uh, the 49ers and Cowboys. And then tonight, I mean, three interceptions, just being in the right place. I mean, Robert Spillane, uh, just give him right place, right time, player of the week. Oh, yeah. Bobby Spillane, my guy. Um, not my guy for, for fantasy. I needed Jordan Love in this Green Bay offense to do something. But, you know, that that's for that's for a whole nother day. Well, um. What else stood to us stood out to us about this game, Ben? You love these kind of games. You love these ugly muck it up games. Yeah, Anything, yeah. What else kind of stood out stood out to you in this one? Well, I'll give three as if I can give advice to anybody in the NFL, but I'll do it anyway here for the Raiders. Okay, number one, Josh McDaniels, you know, be a little more aggressive. You know, it's it. You don't have to, you know, go all the way to Staley, you know, to the Staley end of the spectrum, um, but be a little more aggressive in some of these decision makings that that you're doing because you are. You're behind the eight ball when it comes to talent and record, so why not push the push the envelope a little bit more? Um, Josh Jacobs, the running back, he he doesn't seem like he's running angry. He seems like he's doing a lot more dancing and cutting and and you know swerving. And I think really there are yards to be had there if he powers powers down more. Um, you know he, he's not necessarily King Henry from Tennessee, but he can do that kind of thing. And I just don't see him running angry enough through these holes. He seems like he's doing a lot more, you know, kind of split cut side, you know, try to get the big wide sweep. And that's just not really his best thing. So I, I would love to see that. And then for the Raiders in general, Jimmy Garoppolo was nails on with Jacoby Myers tonight, but that's because Myers runs so many of those ins outs from the slot position and Garoppolo 
the timing was off with, with Adams, but also Garoppolo doesn't have the big arm to get it out there to Adams consistently. So if I were them, we saw it there for like three plays in the third quarter, I would start putting Adams more into slot stuff and get some of that in routes, out routes, so that he can do the same thing. Listen, he, we know he can run the routes, right? We know he's got the hands. So, you know, while we'd rather have him running deep stuff, if Garoppolo can't get it to him or if the offense just can't get in sync, why not go ahead and plug Adams there into maybe even a double slot role with Myers on one side and Adams on the other, I think would give a lot more success. It's it's the kind of stuff that Garoppolo is more used to anyway. So, um, you know, for the Raiders, they can take that and flush it down the toilet if they want, but that's my advice for them. Ronan, what about you? What what do you what do you think? Anything anything to what Ben said? But then what what other thoughts did you have from this one? Yeah, just to add on to what Ben said about Josh Jacobs, um, you know him dancing around a little bit. It makes me think, you know, he's playing on the tag this year. Um, you know, last year he he was kind of on his quote unquote prove it deal, uh, or at least prove it year, right? To go out do the most yeah. he can to go go and get his bag. Didn't end up happening. Got franchise tag. Maybe he's just trying to preserve his body, right? You know, looks around. Hey, you know, uh, look, yep. look at what I did last year, and I'm not getting the money. I mean, hey, uh, it, it's it's logical. Um, but let's talk about Devonte Adams' huge uh, comeback game against his prior team. Seven receptions, 75 yards, a touchdown. Oh no, wait, that's that's Jacoby Myers. Uh, <laughs> Devonte Adams, four receptions on four targets for 45 yards. Uh, longest of 21 yards, very quiet night for Devonte Adams. You have to think, you know, maybe that was planned by the Raiders. Hey, you know, the, the Packers are looking at this knowing Devonte Adams wants this bad. Maybe we can use that to our advantage, use him as a bit of a decoy. Um, or, you know, maybe that, that Packers secondary is just for real, but Devonte Adams, very quiet tonight, Simon. Yeah. And, you know, when, when we get a chance to kind of like go back and watch the film and everything on this, we can get a little bit of a better sense because it's not like Adams hasn't had productive games so far this season. Just a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the the Steelers Raiders game where he had 13 catches on 20 targets for 172 yards. Now, we've since learned that um, the the Steelers corners uh, not not top top notch there. Uh, Patrick Peterson was benched this week um, for Joey Porter Jr., who got a game winning interception uh, after after that move. So, a little my little shout out there, but. Um, Adams has had, you know, he followed that up with eight catches on 13 targets for 75 yards. Um, This was definitely his worst game so far. So it's not that the Raiders and him and Jimmy, you know, Troy Aikman on the broadcast tonight was talking about the timing between Adams and Garoppolo. And sure, some of that was off in this one, but it's not that they're still working this out, right? Because they've had success so far this season. That game last week was with Aiden O'Connell. So even then, we know within this offense, Devonta Adams can can succeed. Um, he obviously had a great year last year, so it it's not that he's just not getting it going right now. But I, I would say I would credit Green Bay more to that first with again without having seen get you know you get to see the all twenty two, get to go back and kind of watch with more replays and stuff. Um, but I would as of right now where I stand, I'm going to credit Green Bay for saying, "Hey, we'll let Jacoby Myers go." seven for 77 you know we'll let um michael mayer get his first couple catches of the season or, or something like that we'll let josh jacobs catch a few out of the backfield Devonte adams is not going to beat us um in his you know get back game against the packers ben what do, what do you think about that well i i'm sure see i i partly agree with you the packers secondary is fine right they're 
with Rasul Douglas and and even when Alexander's helped in on the field, that's a good secondary. But still, when you watch, say, an average arm quarterback like a Garoppolo come over from San Francisco and he's used to throwing all these crossing routes and in routes and out routes to traditionally open receivers, and now all of a sudden he's having to, to kind of readjust to uh, Devontae Adams, who typically works deep and on the outside and who typically gets a lot of attention from a lot of defenses, that's just not going to be his thing. So I, I still think that the Raiders need to do a better job of moving him to the inside, not every play, but on a lot more plays where where Garoppolo can see him. He's in a more typical range of vision and he's more typical arm range too. I, I just think that's an adjustment that they need to continue making, even though you're right, the Packers did, did do a solid job defensively tonight as well on, on, on Adams. What's up, everyone? I'm here to tell you about the Simon Short Podcast. Every Thursday, I deep dive topics related to the NFL, pro hoops, pop culture, and more. Be sure to subscribe to the Simon Short Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, everybody. Brandon Tim here telling you all to listen to the Fantasy Football Franchise, a podcast giving you the insights to help you win your fantasy football leagues. Together, we will look at everything fantasy football, from the platforms we use to navigating weekly player projections. Listen to the Fantasy Football Franchise, a Box Score Network podcast. We'll see you at the next episode. Yeah, so I've got we got some news, Ronan. I'll start with you. I'll call them out. You hit what you want to first. Um, Jonathan Taylor and the Colts picked up a three-year, $42 million contract. With 26 and a half guaranteed, um, the Patriots trade for cornerback J.C. Jackson, who was on the team before, of course. The Dolphins trade for wide receiver Chase Claypool. And the 49ers trade for defensive lineman Randy Gregory. So a lot of shuffling here. Ronan, where do you want to start? Ben, we're going to talk about a guy who did not shuffle, even though we thought he was going to be shuffled somewhere, um, potentially a contender. But Jonathan Taylor staying in Indianapolis, three-year, $42 million contract, $26.5 million guaranteed. Um, this came out of left field. Uh, I, I think we all just kind of expected that situation to kind of burn to the ground and Taylor get shipped off after his four-week sentence on the PUP. Um, but here he is, week five, he came out there and – I, I obviously he didn't play a whole lot, 10 snaps. Zach Moss actually had a heck of a game uh, for my fantasy team at that. Uh, but <laughs> Jonathan Taylor, obviously, we, we know what he brings to the table. He's been an MVP candidate, or at least in the mix. Um, he's behind, when healthy, a fairly solid offensive line. I might be overstepping here. You guys might be able to correct me on that. But if, you know, top 20, maybe, hopefully. Um, and then you don't need a much better offensive line whenever you got Jonathan Taylor back there. I, I don't know his impact, you know, in the next three weeks or so, but I think come the end of the season, he's going to be a large factor for that offense. Um, it sucks because we'll get to the injuries in a little bit, but would have loved to have seen an Anthony Richardson, uh, Jonathan Taylor backfield for a couple of weeks. But uh, it looks like we're going to have to wait around a little bit for that, Simon. Yeah, that's yeah, that that's a bummer. We'll, we'll talk about Anthony Richardson here in a few minutes. But Jonathan Taylor, like, what was, what was all this for, man? Why, why did we do all this? If you didn't need to see, 
if you didn't need to see him run in 2023 to give him a contract, then why did you wait this long? Why did, was he, was this really all about the ankle? And, and that was what they said. And he said he was healthy. And then he did say he was hurt. And then was it really just, let's make sure you rehab. Okay. From this ankle. And then we'll, we'll talk about your contract and, guess what? He's off a pup and he's looking good in practice and he's running around. They're like, cool, you're healthy on your ankle. Here's your contract. And was that all this was? Did Jim Ursay have to wait for that whale to RIP pass away before he could spend $20 million to get in the ocean? And and now he's like, well, I've got the cash. So here you go, man. Um, I don't know. I don't know what all this was for. I don't understand. I want to know more, but Jim Ursay won't tell us that's for sure. Um, so I, I I'm just very confused. But at the end of the day, I mean, this is huge. This, this has to be a win because we were sitting here for the last three months saying, like, what's going to happen with running backs? I was telling you guys my plan to just get three UDFAs and pay them handsomely for UDFAs for like 15 years for a career for each of them and, and replicate that production. Um, meanwhile, Jonathan Taylor is just getting, you know the third most guaranteed money for a not rookie running back in the NFL. He's getting the third highest APY. He's getting the second biggest contract in total. And he's doing it after a down year and an injury. And while his team was like playing pretty well and Zach Moss was playing pretty well because Zach Moss doing what he was doing and the Colts having a decent season so far would have been all the argument in the world for, Hey man, we don't have to pay you $15 million a year. We're doing, we're, we can do this. Right. And yet they gave it to him anyway. So uh, I, I don't know, Ben, you're you're in on the money and, and where I want to hear what you have to say. But like, first off, like shout like I should say good for Jonathan Taylor. Right. We're happy about this for Jonathan Taylor. Yeah. But just like why? Why now? Owen Wilson. Why? 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 I don't I don't get it, Ben. I Well, let me start there with why. I don't have an answer as to why. I mean, you know, what indicators were there that this was going to happen? We all, all kind of thought, hey, he sits out a few weeks and they trade him. And then you mentioned that, you know, with Shane Steichen there, the offense seems to be humming no matter who's playing quarterback. And we figure Richardson only gets better if healthy, right? He only continues to even get better, not worse, if he's healthy. Um, so, you know, why Why do you – you got Zach Moss there racking it up for these fantasy teams. Why do you need Jonathan Taylor? Why don't you just go ahead and trade him? Why do you need to pay him that kind of money? I – I don't get the why. Now, again, you mentioned it. Um, hats off to Jonathan Taylor for getting the money. Congratulations. We, you know, we appreciate any running backs that can get it. But I wouldn't have done it. I would have traded him. Uh, that's what I would have done. And you know, if I if I got to go group uh, group running back here with UDFAs, I'll do it because so far it looks like Shane Steichen is being able to replicate the offense here in Indianapolis, the success anyway that he had there in Philadelphia. So you know, I, I don't get it. Um, <laughs> But, uh, hey, they did it. So, you know, hats off to them. Running. I think it might have come down to just compensation. Um, you know, Jonathan Taylor is borderline. Uh, before Anthony Richardson walked in the door, he was the offense. And, you know, obviously the Colts hold him to a high standard. And then the rest of the league, like Simon, looks at him and says he's a running back. You know, he, he might be very good at what he does, but he's very limited. Um, and then there's that always – always that risk of him getting injured. Uh, I I think it very easily could have just been uh, Chris Ballard, you know, kind of fielding calls. And then, you know, hey, hey, Jim Ursay, best we can get right now is a fourth or a fifth round pick. 
And then Jim's, hey, what's the point of that? That's not going to make my team better. Whenever, you know, I have an MVP candidate sitting on my roster, well, risk versus reward, that's just not worth it. Uh, so, you know, bit the bullet and paid him. I think that, I'm not saying that's exactly how it went, but I think that's a scenario. Um, but I, I don't know. In terms of explaining why now, um, it, it at the whale, I guess. That's really the only conclusion that I can come to logically. Oh, uh, God, the whale. Um, and, and the compensation, like zeroing in on that specifically a little bit could also be it because it could be driven from Taylor's side as well where maybe he was saying, I, I want to be the highest paid running back in the league. And then Christian McCaffrey has seven touchdowns in five games. And he's like, you know what? Maybe I don't need to be the highest paid running back in the league. And maybe he sees a, a rookie quarterback and a new head coach. And he's like, man, you guys are going to need me. You better make me the highest paid running back. And then he's like, wow, you guys are, <laughs> you guys are pretty good. Maybe I will be the third highest paid running back in the league instead. And maybe that was the contract that was always on the table. Maybe uh, Jim Ursay and Chris Ballard and Shane Steichen saw Anthony Richardson go out with that concussion and they're like, you know what, maybe we need to budge on making him the fifth highest paid and make him the third highest paid because Richardson is, is, is having a good rookie year, but he can get hurt at any time. And now again, the injury. Um, so, so maybe there's, there was some meeting of the middle or somebody kind of assessing the league through the first four, four weeks and, you know, kind of coming to grips with what the true reality is now, whichever side of that had to cave a little bit more. We won't ever know, but um, you know that that thinking about it from who is coming to the money, from which direction is, is an interesting way to look at it. Um, do any of these trades stand out to anybody? J.C. Jackson, Chase Claypool, Randy Gregory, Ben, any 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 of those stick out to you? I'll hit the J.C. Jackson thing because I like Jackson going to the Chargers. I really did. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I. They had to pay for it, but they needed some more help in that secondary and on that defense. So I liked it, but it didn't work out. And, you know, how many times now over the years, I mean, this has been 20 years we've seen of this, Patriots players going somewhere else and not working out. And, you know, that's not all of them, but that's most of them. They just do not look anywhere near as good once they leave New England. So hats off again. You know, the Patriots are struggling, of course, but hats off to the Patriots for being able to put players not only develop them, but put them in a place where they can be successful and other organizations just don't typically seem to do that as well. Um, You know, the 49ers and the Rams seem to be some of the exceptions to that, right? But a lot of other teams just don't seem to be able to take these same players and cash in on them the way the Patriots did. So that did stand out to me. I think between these three, uh, between J.C. Jackson, Chase Claypool, and Randy Gregory, they all kind of fall into the same category, truthfully. Um, just kind of disgruntled with their former team, needed a new scenery, and uh, they got exactly that. Jackson, he was just not the same corner there for Los Angeles. Um, injuries happen, and then even whenever he was on the field, uh, it, it just was not that great, and then he ended up getting benched some. Uh, and then, obviously, we know what happened with Chase Claypool. You know, he he got traded for basically Joey Porter Jr., which I, I see Simon just giddy about right now. Um, and... and Obviously, it did not work out there. I, I don't remember the exact numbers, but it wasn't anything monumental. And uh, Claypool, the, at the beginning of the season, the low light highlight or low light highlight video of him just kind of like jogging around and, you know, just kind of like 50% in it. 
we all knew <laughs> what was coming. And then Randy Gregory, that was kind of the one that caught me a little bit by surprise, right? The Broncos saying that they want to go younger, but they just go out and pay Randy Gregory. I, I get it to an extent. You're not producing. You might as well go ahead and just start developing young talent, but uh, shipping them off to the 49ers, the rich get richer, guys. The rich get richer. Ben? Yeah, you know, the Randy Gregory there. By, by the way, he's never played more than 457 snaps in a single season, right? But still, he doesn't have to there in San Francisco. He doesn't have to. He just, he just jumps into a rotation that's already good. And they can use him when they want to. And they can use him when he's going to be successful. And that's just a great recipe for, you know, for a lot of fun for everybody. I mean, everybody enjoys that party. Simon? Yeah, I mean, I think Randy Gregory has the greatest chance to be the most impactful of these three players when it comes to the rest of the 2023 season. Um, we'll talk about that 49ers defense from when we get to the Sunday night game. But to just add this guy, I mean, this is a classic, you know, watching an NBA team that's a contender kind of explore the buyout market in, in late February and just try to build a, a, a championship roster. You know, you get your eighth guy, but he's, he was a starter and he putting up good numbers uh, on his last team. Um, the, the situational pass rusher, a uh, rotational guy, this is your backup to uh, Nick Bosa. I mean, this is the, this has the potential to be a, this guy gets a sack and a forced fumble in a, in a playoff game, which um, means a lot. I mean, how many times do we see a, a defensive player in this kind of role make an impact in the postseason? So I think Randy Gregory definitely has um, real, real upside for this for this 49ers team, Ben. All right. Um, I think anybody else want to cover anything else here on the news section before jumping to injuries? All right. Uh, Simon, you first on the injuries. I'll rattle them off real quick for everybody. Uh, Vikings wide receiver Justin Jefferson with a hamstring, still working to determine the severity of that. Bills linebacker Matt Milano with a leg injury. Defensive lineman Daquan Jones with a peck, both out indefinitely. Right now we're looking at possibly the season for both of these players. Um, Dolphins offensive lineman Taron Armstead, we've talked about him numerous times for many different things for a year and a half now, but currently it's a knee uh, he's on the IR, but should be back at some point. Jets offensive lineman Elijah Vera Tucker, by far their best playing offensive lineman at the at the moment. Um, Achilles out for the year. Packers offensive lineman David Bakhtiari knee out for the year, and Colts quarterback Anthony Richardson, the rookie, of course, shoulder could go to IR. Simon. Yeah, I think the the big one to really start with in terms of we're talking about impact for twenty twenty three is the Bills, uh, and they lose another key defensive starter for the season and Matt Milano fractured leg and what's believed to be in addition to that, like a, an independent season ending knee injury. I mean, uh, this team was already kind of thin when it came to the defense. We, we had talked about it where, you know, Tr Tremaine Edmonds leaves in free agency and you're just hoping that you can get one more year out of this group. That's mainly made of 30 and up guys. Matt Milano is right there in the middle of that thing, and he's been key to basically everything they do these five weeks. Um, and for them to lose another defensive starter and then a rotational defensive lineman to Quan Jones, this Bills team is trying to win a Super Bowl, and they look like they can. And I know it's kind of an ugly game against Jacksonville. We'll talk about it, but um, this is not the trend you want to be on here this early in the season. Um, and the only 
uh, I guess, upside to it all happening now is you got time to to try and add new pieces and, and get guys kind of brought up to speed for the rest of the year. Um, but that's the big one for me. The Bills losing two more defensive starters, Ben, is is a tough look. It, it is. I'll, I'll stay on the Bills here for a second, and then Roland can kick in wherever he wants to. Number one, you mentioned that the Bills, they got a lot of older, not old, but older defensive players, and that's really the result of they're the world's leaders, the NFL leaders, in signing their guys to second contracts. And in doing so, long before, you know, before the fourth season, they're doing it a third season, first chance they get. They're signing these guys. They've been doing that for a while now. And part of the result of that is, well, you kind of get old all at once, too. Um, as part of the site, you know, you, you, you lock in your guys, but then you also get older all at once, too. So that that's part of that. And I'm not saying I'm for or against that, but that's just part of the side effect of doing that. While you do lock in your guys, you are getting older at the same time as well. But also there for the Bills, they can't take a lot of these injuries. But one thing that will help them, at least until they get more injuries here on defense, is that they are so deep at safety. They go three or four deep at safety, and that will at least help them. If Josh Allen can play good, that will help them kind of tread water here on defense. So – We'll see if they, you know, sometimes it's just not your year and the injuries pile up, and it's starting to look like that for the Bills here. But that depth at safety will at least help them kind of tread water, but they can't take many more of these injuries for sure. Ronan? Absolutely. I, I want to talk about a guy who we uh, we mentioned earlier in Anthony Richardson. Uh, Richardson, guys, he has, I believe, exceeded his post-draft expectations. Um, he, he beat the extremely raw allegations. He he's looked very good. I, I don't want to say very good. He's looked good though. Uh, in these first few weeks, whenever he ha- he has been healthy, um, both as a runner and a passer. Um, his his completion percentage, I don't believe, is anything to necessarily flex, but uh, he he has looked good. He's got, I believe, an AC joint sprain which um, that could land him on IR for a little bit, hopefully not too much of an extended period of time. Um, But we've seen guys get taken out with those AC joint sprains before. It is in his right shoulder. And uh, doing a little bit of research, he's actually injured his right shoulder twice beforehand in college. Uh, So that was something, you know, pre-draft, kind of a red flag that uh, the Colts kind of kept an eye on. And, for a third time, the AC joint is injured again. Uh, and then just to add another name, Justin Jefferson with the hamstring injury. Um, we saw it with like Cooper Cup, right? Those hamstrings can be fickle. Um, so that's just something to keep an eye on. Hopefully it's nothing too serious. Um, we're, we're still trying to kind of figure out how serious it is. Um, but that is something that could affect Justin Jefferson and the Vikings in general down the line. Uh, the next couple of weeks. Yeah, it, listen, if Justin Jefferson, if Justin Jefferson isn't, isn't healthy, the Vikings are already in a hole. But if Jefferson isn't healthy, forget about it. They might as well just, uh, for, you know, scratch the entire season, any chance of winning any games against any any average team or above, because he is their whole offense. Kirk Cousins can move the ball without him, but he's not going to be able to score a lot of points without Jefferson. He's just not. Besides which, they can't run the football at the moment. They haven't really shown the ability to do that or the desire to do that very much. So, you know, the defense, while showing some, you know, 
some encouraging methods under Flores, which I think we like, hasn't really shown any significant statistical improvement, you know, a little bit, but not much. So, but it's fun to watch. You know, baby. It's Jefferson, fun to watch. Yeah. It's fun <laughs> to watch. I love it. And, and I think it will get better, you know, maybe next year, but listen, that, without Jefferson, forget about it. Vikings just aren't going to do anything with, with them. They're dangerous every week against anybody. We saw that against Kansas city, but without him, they're, they're not going to do anything. Simon. Yeah, uh, I'm going to say to the Vikings what the venue smartly called out the Rams, what they did well with Cooper Cup, what we've been yelling at the Bengals for not doing with Joe Burrow. Just, just don't, man, just don't, don't even stress, man. Don't, don't even worry. You just let that guy sit there for as long as he needs to. And, and I think they've already said like yeah. they're, they're already on like their second look at him from a different doctor and they're going to keep looking and, and get as much confirmation on what they should do. Um, I think Ian Rappaport has said that he doesn't expect Jefferson to at least play for this week, even though we still don't even know like how bad the injury is at this point. You're one and four. Um, it, it, there's no, there's no point. Do not rush this guy back. So yeah, for sure. Um, Anthony Richardson, this is so tough. Uh, it's tough for my my draft takes. Whereas I would take Richardson over Bryce Young because I'm worried about Bryce Young getting hurt, and here's Richardson being out a, another time. So that is tough to see. Um, but he, for a guy that, I mean, he's doing not as many of the bad things. Yeah, the accuracy and the completion percentages in there, like Ronan said, but some of the, the throws this guy is making, man, is just some incredible stuff. And, and there's there's drops by the receivers mixed in there that would really help that completion percentage. But the, this is just a bummer for a young quarterback who this early stage of their careers when you know it's about playing and getting reps and seeing as much defense as possible you hate to see them in and any of them in and out with injuries so it's tough to see for richardson uh and then those offensive linemen yeah just when i wrote in the david bakhtiari one just to follow up we talked about it um last week when he missed the game but gonna officially be out for the year so they really get to see what they have in these young tackles and in tom in nyman in rasheed walker so um Packers are just going to be a little bit younger than they already were this year, Ben. All right. I think that's it for injuries. We're going to talk about the Jaguars upending the Buffalo Bills right after these messages. Hey, everyone. I'm Ben Parker. And I'm Robert Zenvire, and we are the Odds on Favorite, presented by Boxcore Network. Every week, we analyze NFL point spreads, over-unders, props, futures, and much more. Follow us on Twitter at OddsOnFavorite and listen on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Connor. I'm Billy. And I'm Austin. And we're the host of the Tricky Takes podcast presented by the Box Score Network. We talk about all things sports ranging from golf, baseball, football, NBA, and all college sports. Come give us a listen and make sure you follow us over on Twitter at Tricky Takes, and that's Tricky with two eyes. All right. Welcome back in, everybody. The Jaguars. Uh, I, I say a surprise, maybe not a surprise to everybody, but certainly Buffalo was the hot team heading into this game. Jaguars, while not playing horribly, weren't the hot team heading into this game, and they win 25 to 20. Simon, kick it off for us. Ben, the first thing that stood out to me um, in that first, I'd say, quarter and a half 
was one team looked like it had been in London for two weeks and one team looked like they just got there four days before. This was the first <laughs> time the NFL experimented with this, put a team over there for two straight games. And it showed, I mean, it was, it was pretty drastic. I didn't look, I didn't like divvy up the, um, the penalty numbers in, in the first half or anything, but Buffalo by far had more penalties than, than Jacksonville early on and just missed tackles and, and missed just like little stuff that we're not used to seeing from the bills, especially this season. They had 11 penalties in the game and Jacksonville had eight, but they nearly doubled up the yardage on those penalties um buffalo did so just just a team that was not sharp at the beginning of the game i think they started with like two or three straight punts and and they hadn't punted like in a first quarter yet this season or something some crazy stat like that um one team was just very very comfortable from the beginning and one team wasn't that was the first thing that stood out to me yeah i i agree it's a great point and maybe in future seasons because I actually like the Jaguars getting to stay and play for a couple of weeks. You know, I, I don't mind that at all. Maybe in future seasons, though, um, you find a way to get a bye week for somebody when they're heading to London and, and give them a chance to get over there earlier and get settled in, even if they're not playing, you know, that week or something. Or maybe you send three teams over there from the same division and have them play each other or something like that, where, you know, if you're going to do this, you know, try not to give one team an advantage. But, you know, be that as it may, we see that all the time, whether it's Thursday night matchups or, or whatever. We, we see some of that. But I'll tell you what else stood out. I mean, there was a lot, but this is the one that really stood out. The Jaguars' offense hasn't looked great this season. We know that it hasn't yet fully kicked into high gear. It hasn't been bad, but it hasn't yet kicked into that high gear that we all think it could be. And it's not going to until that offensive line gets better. We talked about this during the offseason that that offensive line might take the first half of the season to get to its kind of clicking zone. But if that offensive line, I'm telling you, and, and y'all know this because y'all been looking for it, so is uh, Robertson, our compatriot. If that offensive line gets anything together here, that Jaguars offense is going to take off like a rocket. It is going to soar into the top five because everything else is there. They're healthy. Trevor Lawrence is playing well. ETN is playing well. They've got not one, not two. <laughs> three valid NFL caliber above average guys to throw the football to. I mean, everything else is there. And the offensive line hasn't been a disaster, but it is consistently in pass protection, allowing heat on Lawrence. And I mean a lot of it. And so Lawrence is having to do a whole lot of playmaking. So if at some point this year they can get it settled in and that pass protection can improve, this Jaguars offense is going to explode into one of the best in football because everything else is there. We're seeing them kind of on the verge here the, fact, the first few weeks, but it hasn't exploded yet. But it can if that O-line will get there, Simon. And they were so close to getting that offensive line back together too because this was the first game that left tackle Cam Robinson was back after his suspension. Um, and on either the first or second drive, so what they did was Walker Little – who had been playing left tackle. He was a second-round pick a couple of years ago. They slid him into left guard, and, and which has been kind of the weak point for this Jags offensive line the last couple of seasons. He gets hurt with like seven minutes to go in the first quarter, like first or second drive by the Jaguars, and Tyler Shatley has to come back in. Uh, so this team was so close to having its best five kind of back out there and and really make, having a go at it. Um, and then to kind of segue that into still like looking into the game, they were withstanding the the four-man rush by the Bills, which is the Bills' preferred method of defense. 
um, pretty well in that first half. The, the Bills weren't sending a lot of pressure. Trevor Lawrence was making a ton of plays. Uh, you know, they didn't have a ton of points at halftime or anything, but the, Lawrence and, and the Jags were just kind of comfortable in their offense. It was in the third quarter that they really dialed up the blitz, um, starting to send five, six guys at, at Lawrence a little more often. And that did slow down Jacksonville's offense for quite a while. We saw the score basically stay scoreless through the third quarter into the fourth quarter. Um, and that was when things really got to heat up. Yeah, agreed. It was um it was a fun game to watch. Ronan, how many weeks now have we seen it was the Cowboys, it was the Bills, it was uh I, I forget who it was in between there. Were the best team of the league, allegedly, it was the Dolphins. Um, and now, you know, getting their tails handed to them, basically, and now they're not the best of the league anymore. Is it, are we going to see this all year with different teams running? I, I think we probably will, Ben. Um, it, we always we, we like to ride the highs, um, and it's the NFL. So usually whenever everybody's riding on that high, people get on their high horse, you know, maybe uh, – start taking things a little bit less seriously, and then they, they come back down to earth uh, after dropping a 70-point uh, win, or 50-point 50, 50 win, 70 total points. Uh, yeah, I, I I would expect it to continue. Simon, you mentioned something earlier to watch out for next no. week. I'm sorry, what did you say? I said 49ers better watch out for next week. Who do they play? They might, the they might be, next week. They might be the exception. I hope I'm going to eat my words. I really do, but I, I don't know. That 40 rounds by team. 50 next week. Everyone mark it down. <laughs> yes. That, yes. If, if the trend continues, Browns by 50, right? <laughs> Deshaun Watson with his best passing game yet for Cleveland. Something like that. I guess Something the 49ers like defense, no less. <laughs> Good Lord. Can't, can't have it. Can't have it. Simon, I know you watched a good bit of this game. What else do you have on here? Yeah, so I talked about the injuries and how they're piling up for that defense, and, and I think it really all kind of cultivated in the Jaguars' um, last touchdown drive. I think it was their final touchdown drive. Three minutes to go in the game, the Bills had Micah Hyde on the outside covering Calvin Ridley one-on-one. Ridley had been torching the backup corners, Kyer Elam, um, and let's see, Benford was also on this one. So it was Dane Jackson and Kyer Elam, third and fourth outside corner for the bills in this game we're playing um, and Tom really was getting really whatever he wanted. They end up with Micah Hyde out there on him one-on-one and really burns him and gets a huge first down. It was on third down. It was like third and four. They get like 30 yards, 32 yards on that play. Um, and, and two plays later, Jacksonville gets a touchdown. Um, and that's, you know, that's what happens when you are, depleted right it might not show for three quarters with the depth um because i think ridley only had like six catches on on the game not not like it wasn't like a astronomical game or anything um but it's those key moments and and for teams like this the, the jaguars who we expected to be kind of in this in this realm of contention and then the bills who are in that inner circle it's these key games and these key moments where you need your stars to be stars and, you know, you, you can see where your depth gets poked at a little bit. And, and if you need to put Micah Hyde out there on a Calvin Ridley in a, in a key situation, one-on-one, this is what's going to happen. And, and that's how games kind of get sealed and, and won. And 
championships are, are won and, and everything like that. So uh, I think Buffalo does need to do something, especially now with Matt Milano out um, about bringing in some more talent on this defense. We're seeing teams loading up with those trades uh, around the league as teams keep falling out of favor for the season and start having their eye on their young guys and stuff like that. Buffalo really needs to make a move for some more defensive players, Ben. Yeah, I, I would love to see it. We'll see if that happens. You start to run into the, into the problem of, well, how invested are we in this season? And, you know, like you said, it feels like the Bills are pretty invested. I mean, you know, after this offseason, if they don't have a Super Bowl, do you start to just kind of shake things up a little bit, maybe from a personnel standpoint, maybe you just don't have a choice because of age and money, right? Maybe it just kind of forces you into that. But, you know, how big of a trade are we going to make? You know, who's available? And do we really go out there and make a big earth-shaking trade? Or do we just kind of, you know, bring in the, you know, the sly veteran and hope to, you know, kind of weasel our way through the season. So, you know, that, that'll be the question they'll have to answer. Sunday night football, uh, the 49ers and the Cowboys. The 49ers actually bullied the bully in this game. Uh, the Cowboys have uh, been, uh, aside from the Cardinals game, the Cowboys have been shaking a lot of people around like ragdolls. But in this game, it was the 49ers. Ronan, start us off, man. Guys, this uh, this 49ers team, you know, and I'm going to say it, and next week whenever they get, you know, steamrolled by the Browns, I'll, I'll apologize to everybody in San Francisco, but this is the best team in football, uh, at least as of right now. There, there are so many different ways that this team can beat you, and all it takes is one position group to beat the opposing team. Um, now, obviously, you know, offense and defense has to work side by side, but you get what I mean. Um Offensively, they they have threats out the wazoo uh, between Ayuk and Debo Samuel, and then you've got George Kittle who had three touchdowns, a nice little hat trick, and then you have Christian McCaffrey who has scored in like sixteen straight games as a 49er. Um, it's unfair, it truly is. And then you know I I want to go back to the begin or the off season because I don't know if we were necessarily sold on Brock Purdy guys, but He's he's playing pretty darn good. Like not just winning, you know, keeping the ship afloat. Like he is actually making throws that are putting the 49ers in position to be what they are right now. Um he he has looked legit. 17 for 24 uh on Sunday night, 252 yards, four touchdowns, no picks. He he makes he's been making very, very accurate throws over the middle. Uh, over the shoulder I, I'm very very shocked to see this version of Brock Purdy um, I, I was kind of on the Brock Purdy train um, in terms of I, I thought he was a good enough quarterback to kind of get the 49ers to where they want to be in terms of the playoffs uh, but he's really steering the ship uh, of this juggernaut now obviously it's not just him and that offensive cast is definitely beneficial um, but I, I saw something on Twitter earlier where it was or SWAT, uh, Brock Purdy and Daniel Jones. And, you know, would they be putting up the same numbers? Right. And in my opinion, first, I, I think the 49ers offense is better off with Brock Purdy and not to talk about the Giants, but that, that's just not a fair comparison. I mean, you're looking at Daniel Jones with <laughs> a wide receiver three at best and then an old Darren Waller who barely gets looks anyway so I, I just don't think that's necessarily the fairest comparison I don't know what quarterback would do well there um, but to bring it back to Brock Purdy 
the dudes raised eyebrows and now he might be in the you know pro bowl if he keeps it up could he even sneak into the mvp conversation oh, not God. top five hear me out I, i'm not saying he's gonna win right <laughs> no and you're no right means, that's why it's annoying that's why it's annoying because you're totally right it's gonna happen and by no means is i, I don't want to like deuce on him after hyping him up but it's not like he is the most valuable player on even on that team you could probably name five to seven players that are more valuable on that roster uh, than Purdy, but it's the fact that he's keeping everything going. We saw with Jimmy Garoppolo so many times, you know, they'd get right up to that point and, and then they just couldn't quite get over that hump. And I think with Brock Purdy, he's got that charisma. He's kind of got that cool headedness that a quarterback needs. And uh, over most importantly, he can hit the pass. He can hit his guy uh, and he can go down and, Win you a football game, but uh, that that's my spiel on this uh, 49ers offense, Simon. Well, we know Ronan got purdy pilled because the first trait that he mentioned was his charisma. He what did he do? Did he, did he flash you a little smile? Did you see him shopping at your local mall like like he likes to do? And and you couldn't even tell he was an NFL quarterback at first, and and it was all over from there. What, what yeah, you know, we, you we actually we we. We met at a uh, at a bar. Just oh, you, know, you hung out. Oh, yeah, a couple of hours. Couple of hours. Great, great guy. Great guy. Don't tell him what I've said about him. Um, no, listen. <laughs> I I I started to say this last week. Um, and and maybe not even to this extent. I, I was talking about how, uh, yeah, I haven't been that high on Brock Purdy, but it's still exciting, right? I still wanted to do well, and and I'm and we're enjoying it. He. Uh, he's stepping into like he's a real NFL quarterback to me and like actually playing well. So something that I something that I found and what I've heard over the last like week or so um, is is where he is falling statistically now that he has kind of this real sample size, both for this year and, and stretching back to last year. And he's falling into this like perfect blend of the guy he was in his first couple plays games last year. And what Jimmy Garoppolo was for all these years in San Francisco, where he's reeling in that like crazy gunslinger mentality that that he had at the beginning of last year, where he was always just like rolling out and dipping out of the pocket unnecessarily. And he was taking all these crazy deep shots that he didn't quite have the arm for. He's reeling all that crazy outlier type stuff in. But he's still providing a little more dynamism than a Jimmy Garoppolo does because he can move a little bit. So when you run a, a play action, he can actually get out on the hoof a little bit. You can run a sprint out with him. You can have him move around in the pocket a little bit and, and wait for something else to develop. It doesn't just have to be what does the offense get open for me in less than two seconds and now I'm going to throw it. But he is starting to be able to also do those things. So he's starting to blend together his like playmaking and Kyle Shanahan's offense and what Jimmy G would do last season really, really well. Um, so he hasn't I, – I still don't think he's thrown an interception this year. His completion percentage is, is crazy. But he's actually throwing the ball on average further than he did last year. Last year was a lot of checkdowns and then those crazy blind chuck it balls. His intended air yard per pass attempt has gone up. His completed air yard per pass attempt has gone up. Uh, he's pushing the ball, but he's doing it within this offense in the way Shanahan wants it done. So Purdy's playing really well, I think, Ben. Purdy's having a good season. And, and what I like about the 49ers against the Cowboys in that matchup is that they can do what it takes to beat the Cowboys. And that's, first of all, you can run the football. If you can run the football in this Cowboys defense, then you can slow down the pass rush. They, you know, They're trying to get up 
field hot on the edges, especially Parsons. Well, now that gives you an advantage in the in the running game, and, and the 49ers can do that. You know, we know that. So if you're a team that can run the football, even if you're not the 49ers, you can slow down this Cowboys defense. And then you can run play action. And then if you've got some decent wide receivers, they don't have to be great, but decent. Then once you've got the play action going, you can now start to pass against a – it's not a great Cowboys secondary. It's a good one, but not a great one. You can pass against them, especially if they're having to worry about stopping the run. So – the 49ers can do that to perfection, but other teams can copy that. If they can run the football and if they can throw effectively, um, just reasonably average, then you can slow down that Cowboy. And then you start to mix in with the Cow- what the 49ers do so well, and that is double-teaming Parsons, chipping Parsons, running away from Parsons, everything in Parsons. And, and that really makes this Cowboys defense, it's like their kryptonite. So, you know, that's why the Cowboys defense goes from just killing, I mean, killing the Patriots and killing a couple of other teams this year to, well, what happened? You know, they gave up 42 points. I mean, well, that's what's happening. It's that flip reverse. It's the domino effect. So the 49ers do it to perfection, but other teams can copy this too if they've got that ability. Not all not all teams have that ability, but I do like the 49ers here in this matchup. All right, either one of you, anything else on this game here? Just a note on the on the Cowboys and their offense because ten points. I, I know this is a, a defense first team, but this offense I am starting to get a little bit worried about when when things get tough. Right? What is their what is their go to? What when it's a close game? What is the identity? We thought it was going to be running the ball, and you look at the the totals and you look at Tony Pollard's stats and everything, and they look like a top ten running team. I wanted to isolate it down, though, to first half of the game because their game script and all their dominating wins has been run the ball a bunch of the second half. They're an average running team in, in the first half of game, so that's not their go-to. Um, so then you say, okay, it's the passing game and it's Dak Prescott and it's it's you know the, this receiving core. Well, what's the receiving core? Well, we saw CeeDee Lamb get, get shut out in this one, right? Four catches for 40 yards, I think. The, the 49ers clearly game-planned for CeeDee Lamb. Um who is the number two option? We thought it was going to be Brandon Cooks. That hasn't really come to fruition so far this year. So in this one against the 49ers, Brandon Cooks and Michael Gallup combined for three catches on nine targets for 22 yards. On the season, those two guys have a combined 24 catches for 153 yards and zero touchdowns. I looked this up today. Would you guys like to guess how many individual receivers have at least 24 catches and 153 yards on this season. For all the teams combined? From from the whole league. If you just had to throw out a guess, how many wide receivers and actually pass catchers, how many pass catchers have 24 catches for 153 yards? Well, didn't Puka Nakua do it in like a game? <laughs> yeah, basically. I think he did it twice. <laughs> I'm going to go... I want to go with, I think, a high number, and I'm going to say 25. Ben, yeah, I was going to say 50. So, yeah. It's 27. Good call by you, Ronan. Five teams have two guys who have done this, but 27, 27 individual receivers have the same number of catches and yards that the wide receiver two and three on the Cowboys have, which is an offense that – for years has been a top 10 under Kellen Moore. So uh, the the Cowboys have a who is our second best offensive weapon problem. 
that I just want to just kind of want to keep an eye on as we continue to move forward in the season. All right. So uh, 49ers up, Cowboys down. We'll see if they can come back from that next week. The schedule will get a little bit easier uh, coming off the uh, 49ers. Thursday night football, the Bears beat the Commanders 40 to 20. Uh, Ronan, you mentioned this earlier, a 60-point night for Thursday night football. Absolutely. Um, you know, uh, judging off of the past year, maybe the past couple of years, Thursday night football, maybe not necessarily the most exciting brand of football being played. A lot of players aren't necessarily ecstatic that they're playing on a short week, looking forward to that long uh, that long week that follows the Thursday night football game. Um, but I'll tell you what, the Bears came out there ready to play. Uh, DJ Moore decided to – well, it wasn't even DJ Moore decided to. It was the Bears coaching staff decided to allow DJ Moore to have his welcome to Chicago moment or welcome to Chicago game as he had eight receptions for 230 yards and three touchdowns. So if you had him in fantasy, either congratulations on the win or how did you mess that up, um, that they – the Bears offense looks like an actual offense for the first time, maybe all year long, uh, for the entirety of the game. Uh, Fields looked pretty good, going 15 of 29 for 282 yards, four touchdowns, no picks. Uh, but there was a stat that kind of stood out to me, guys, uh, and it was the fact that the Bears actually had a very, very, very balanced offense on Thursday night. Um, on Thursday, they had 32 dropbacks. Uh, I think Fields had 29 pass attempts, and he was sacked three times to total 32. And they ran the ball 32 times, so a 50-50 split, um, which for this Bears team is honest, honestly a little bit surprising uh, for how much this Bears team in the past has liked to run the ball. Obviously, this commander's defensive front is no joke, so they knew that going into it. But uh, being able to generate – production on both sides of the ball, right? 273 yards passing from fields, 178 total rushing yards for the Bears. Um, the offense was finally clicking, Ben. You're right. And this is the kind of Bears offense we kind of thought we would see at the start of the season, and it was nowhere to be found. It's you know Even without D.J. Moore, it was the kind of offense we, we kind of got a glimpse of at the end of last year. And, you know, it's like, well, where has this been the first few weeks? But one thing I did see with Justin Fields, because I'll, I'll stick with the obvious here, it's the Fields to Moore connection. Fields has the arm strength to take advantage of DJ Moore downfield. He's got the arm strength. He might not ever be a surgeon or efficient or, you know, be the Joe Montana-style quarterback. He doesn't have to be. If he can run some and then get the ball downfield to Moore, they can, they can move the chains and score a fair amount of points. It may not always be 40. We know it won't be, but that's – that's an important connection. It's it's no different really than the Kirk Cousins to Justin Jefferson connection. It opens up everything else. But you know, Fields is a way more dynamic runner than Cousins. So if if listen, if you could stretch the field with more, and then you could let Fields cut loose on some of these runs, you can have a lot of big play potential there. Even if you're not the most surgically, you know, correct offense, Simon. Yeah, Ben, I'm going to stick with right where you're at and fields and more because the thing I was feeling immediately in this game was it feels like fields is just dropping back and, and saying, where where's number two? And, and I'm going to get it to him. And right. that is indicative of so many things. First thing is we're simplifying the offense, which harkens back to 
the the press conference that we talked about a couple of weeks ago where just field said you know they're talking about what's what's going on with the you know processing the game speed yada yada what's struggling with the offense field saying that i'm getting a lot of you know great tips from my coaches and a lot of things to look at and it's it's basically too much there's too much going on he's dropping back and he's thinking where is dj Moore? so i, I, I pulled some stats that i want to read out to you guys here um so over the last two games which have been the two good offensive games from the bears even though we did rip Chicago last week for having that huge win, huge uh, blowout uh, second half against them from the Broncos. Um, but DJ Moore had has had eight catches of each of the last two games, and Fields has had um, his best two games here in games four and five. So what has changed? Um, these stats were from NFL's Next Gen stats. So Fields is basically throwing the ball in the same amount of time that he always has this season. Um, 2.95 was his quickest time to throw uh, on the year, and 3.25 is his, is his longest. So basically the same amount of time he's holding the ball. He's not actually getting rid of it any quicker. But here's what is changing, and it's how aggressive he's willing to be with the ball. You watch those first couple games, and you're like, man, what is he waiting for? What is he like? Why isn't he throwing the ball at this time? All those bad sacks that we saw him take. And he was waiting for something to be too open, too perfect, so he wouldn't make a mistake. His aggressiveness percentage, which NFL's next-gen stats kind of tracks as throws into tight windows and deep down the field. In the first two games of the season, he was basically last in that. 2.7% uh, of his throws were classified as aggressive throws in the first game, 6.9% in game two. That was 32nd and 26th in the NFL. Games four and five, 17.1 and 17.2%. That's 10th and 7th. So not super aggressive, not the most aggressive, but in the top 10, he's taking more aggressive throws. He's trusting that arm talent that you're talking about, Ben, that ability to get the ball deep and be accurate and be, you know, ha have the power behind it. He's trusting that ability and he's trusting DJ Moore. He's saying, I have a number one receiver now for the first time in my career. I'm just going to throw it to him even if he's not perfectly open, and I'm going to trust that it works out. DJ Moore in those first two games I mentioned, eight catches combined, and he's had that in each of the last two games. Uh, the other thing I wanted to look at was his air yards to the stick. So basically, wherever your first down marker is, how short or far beyond that marker are you throwing the ball? Those first two games, minus 6.9. So more almost seven yards short of the first down marker per throw in that first game that was 31st in the league game two minus 3.7 that's 29th games four and five minus 1.1 which was 14th and game five here three yards past the sticks on average that was first in the nfl this week so we have the first two losses where fields looked horrible took all those bad sacks he was waiting for things to be wide open throwing well short of the sticks um versus these last two games where he's throwing at or beyond the sticks and willing to throw into tight windows and trust those receivers. So we're seeing quarterback who said what he needed is coaching staff listened and clearly has either made the offense simpler in some ways. Maybe they took a couple of like weird route concepts or a couple of weird plays out of the offense, or they just told fields, Hey man, we trust you. You just throw the ball. Here's the offense. You do what you want with it. feels like there's also more design runs. I couldn't find that stat anywhere, um, but they're letting fields just kind of be who he is. And, and they said, we traded for this receiver for a reason. Let's use him. Um, and that just kind of helped 
the rest of the offense everywhere else. They're, they are running the ball more effectively. Um, Tevin Jenkins got in at guard in this one. His first game, he was activated off pup like Wednesday, and then he played Thursday in relief when Ted Karras got hurt. Um, so these these two weeks, man, you know, the, this Bears team, the, it looks like the offense is at least starting to show a little something. So definitely something to monitor the rest of the year, Ben. Yeah, 68 points in two weeks. I mean, that that would put them right up there with the best in the league if, if they could hold that up, which even if they don't, still an improvement on offense. Ronan, anything else here on the Commanders and the Bears, Matt? Yeah, I just wanted to note, um, you know, on the flip side, we just talked about the Bears for a bit. Um, the Commanders, right? Sam Howell, guys, I personally think he looks pretty darn good. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't necessarily know if he's – Ever going to scratch that top 10 quarterback you know, realm, but he he looks like a guy who can definitely get it done. Um, yeah, I don't remember the last time and, you know, I'm sure you can go back in the, the stat books from last year and be able to find it, but I don't really recall a quarterback being able to go 350 plus uh, passing yards for the commanders. Now, obviously it was garbage time. Um, yeah, and it was all pretty much stat padding, but 37 to 51 for 388 yards, two touchdowns. He did throw a pick. Um, not a bad stat line. There were a lot of throws that I was impressed by. Uh, he's a guy who he kind of, uh, not necessarily the, the same talent level, but he kind of reminds me of like an Andrew Luck play style. Um, just very hard nosed, uh, I just keep thinking of, uh, him breaking the sack from last or from, Thursday night, and uh, I don't even necessarily remember how that play ended up, but I just – I've been impressed by Howell so far this season. Simon, you're smiling, about yeah. to correct me. Well, what do you got for me? I actually agree with everything you said on Howell, but your your streak of who – what, like, random quarterback can I compare to a Hall – you know, a Hall of Fame caliber well, talent player? Who did you compare to Brett Favre last year? Oh, God. Do you remember this? Do you uh, yeah, this? I mean, it was probably we'll have to like, go back and find it. You yeah, threw it something that crazy out like Brett Baker Barb. Mayfield or something. Oh my gosh, that just but that, just in so terms that's... of you know, I'm not saying he's he's Andrew Luck. There's no way in heck he's Andrew Luck, but just kind of does not care about. His, I could say like Josh Allen. There just aren't necessarily. He reminds me of Daniel Jones. That's just not as fun, you know. Like and even well, that would then, also be mean. So yeah, you don't want to do that. <laughs> hey. You're talking about a millionaire. Um, the last <laughs> spe- speaking of random quarterbacks, uh, the last Commanders quarterback who threw for 350 yards was actually Carson Wentz. Um, just yeah, that time. checks out. Almost that checks a out. month a month ago, basically to to the day. Actually, uh, when we started recording this podcast, it was one month ago. So happy anniversary or one year ago. Shout out uh, Carson Wentz. Happy anniversary. Hope you're having a great time. Shooting, shooting yeah, or something. Yeah, it was... I'll double down on that, Ronan. Um, for Sam Howell to throw for this many yards, and we you know there were some moments where he didn't look good, but to throw for this many yards when the offensive line is allowing that much pressure to be on him, and he's it's not every play, but it's most plays where he's not getting very long to throw the football. So for Bienemy and Howell to be able to produce this much yardage gives them a chance to win. And, and really at the moment, it's the defense just as much as it's the offensive line that is the cause in Washington to lose these games. I mean, that's that's just as big of a problem. And we, 
you know, a lot of people were saying coming into the season that the Washington defense might be the strength of the team. And so far, it really hasn't proven to be that. So they need to get better on defense. They need the O-line to get better. But Eric Bieniemy and Howell and this group of receivers is producing a lot of yardage, and that gives them a chance here in a lot of these games. Makes them dangerous every week. Anybody else with anything on this game? All right. Well, Simon has some things in store for us here. So get us uh, get us going here and I'll let the audience know what we're looking at. Yeah, so this just felt like a good time. We, If, if you were with us over the preseason, you know, we, we had a couple um, different bits that we did to preview the season. And I intentionally made them slightly competition-based. So I just kind of want to check in on one of these here tonight. We'll do this every so often throughout the, throughout the year. Fun way to kind of look back, but also... Um, see if we can get some trash talk going here on the podcast. So the one we're going to look at tonight is our over under draft that we did with Robertson fire. Um, we drafted all 32 teams. We looked at their Vegas over unders, and I just want to do a quick check in on which of our, how we feel overall about the bets we made, which bet we feel the best about and which one we feel the worst about. So to start with mine real quick, um, I had the Cardinals under four and a half. This was before Josh Dobbs. Um, so I just want to make that perfectly clear. If I'd known Josh Dobbs would have been here, this would not have been. I think this was my first pick, actually. Um, I took the Bills over 10 and a half, Panthers under seven and a half, Bears under seven and a half, Chiefs over 11 and a half, Patriots under seven and a half, Eagles over 11 and a half, Seahawks over eight and a half. I got to say, man, the only one I'm feeling bad about right now is the Cardinals under four and a half. I think they might pull out five wins. I told you guys when Josh Dobbs came in, he might accidentally win a few games. So that's the one I don't feel great about. The one I feel best about, yeah, I, I mean, you kind of have to go with the Panthers, right? Uh, have, haven't won a game yet, right? And, and seven and a half, they're, they're not. They're not making it. I'm not, I'm not worried about that one. So under seven and a half for the Panthers is where I feel best ronan let me hit you next man i'll, I'll remind you of yours because yours are tough yours are yeah, tough i feel pretty yeah. good about mine overall but yours yours are yours are tough uh falcons over eight and a half cowboys over nine and a half broncos over eight and a half texans under six and a half packers under seven and a half not bad vikings over eight and a half Oof. jets over nine and a half well We'll give you a mulligan on that one. Couldn't, couldn't. This was one that Vegas would probably refund everybody's initial bet on, right? Um, and then Bucks under six and a half. How, how are you feeling about those overall? Which do you feel best about? Which do you feel worst about? Uh, overall, not feeling too hot. Um, you know, for example, the the Bucks didn't really expect them to come out as on fire as they have. But um, in terms of what I'm feeling best about, truthfully, I'd have to go with my. I believe was my first pick in uh, the Falcons over eight and a half. Um, they're currently at three wins on the season. I think that they can pick up six more. Uh, they play in the NFC South, right? So there are a couple of games that they can definitely pick up here and there. Uh, so I I'm really digging the Falcons. I was preseason and uh, I haven't eaten my words yet. In terms of what I don't love, uh, the Broncos over eight and a half games. I don't. I don't know if they'll even sniff that. Uh, we. I was on the Sean Payton will make it better. I didn't necessarily think he was going to make them. Uh, you know, a super juggernaut wild card or well, they they weren't winning the AFC West, but you know maybe it's some sort of wild card juggernaut. 
Uh, they ain't sniffing. It doesn't seem like this year, unless there's some grace of by God turnaround. Uh, the, this Broncos Sean Payton year one is a uh, pretty much chalked Ben. <laughs> yeah, All right. it's not and good get, in Denver. My bad, Ben. To I'm get to Ben's over. picks, here we are: Raiders under six and a half, Chargers over nine and a half, Rams under six and a half. Dolphins under nine and a half, Saints over nine and a half, Giants over seven and a half, Steelers over eight and a half, 49ers over ten and a half. Ben, how are you feeling in total? Which do you feel best about? Which do you feel worst about? You know, there's two that really stand out that I want to talk about. First of all, let me hit Ronan's team, the Rams. So I picked them to hit the under on six and a half by a long shot. And I just can't say enough about how good a job Sean Abay has done here. And I'm not trying to, to discount Les Snead's work in drafting, but I, I still think if you take this same roster and give it to a lot of other coaches, you're not getting the same results. I just think Sean McVay has kicked it into gear here. And hats off to Puka Nakua and Tutu Atwell. Uh, but listen, that secondary is not a good secondary, and yet they're playing disciplined. They're playing decent. Listen, they were physically overmatched against the Eagles' wide receivers, and yet they still – made that a very close, difficult game. The Eagles couldn't just run up and down the field. So hats off to them for that. The, the Rams' offense has been performing yardage-wise and points-wise. I mean, just hats off to them. They're healthy right now for the most part. That offensive line hasn't been great, but it's been okay. And they've been able to work around that and, and produce something there. So hats off to Sean McVay. I mean, just fantastic. I've got him up there as one of the two or three best coaches in the league along with maybe Andy Reid and and uh, a Shanahan right now. I mean, those are kind of my three best at the moment. Um, but McVay's just doing a fantastic job. I love it. I mean, he is – they may not hit the playoffs this year, but by next year, depending on how healthy and, and you know, Aaron Donald and Matthew Stafford are coming back, and if Sean McVay comes back, and if they can add a couple more pieces in free agency maybe – by next year, they could be devastating. So we'll see. But just this, this start of this season alone, can't say enough good things about Sean McVay. And then the other thing there is the Giants. I had them – I actually thought seven and a half was just about right for them heading into the season. I thought, hey, this talent, there's not enough talent here, but they're going to be kind of dead on that because Dable and, and Jones and, and Barkley. But, no, they have been awful. They have been so bad. They might be at, at the moment. They might be the worst team in football at the moment because they're injured. They're banged up. They don't have. They don't have some guys, and they don't even have a lot of talent when they got the guys right. But they have been dreadful. And there's a chance. <laughs> Can you imagine if they get the first pick in the draft <laughs> instead of the Cardinals or instead of somebody else? Uh, you know, two weeks ago we were saying the Bears, right? But. Can you imagine if the Giants get the first pick of the draft? You know, the choices they'll be faced with. So anyway. Uh, it, and, and I didn't expect to see Brian Dable going off on Daniel Jones like that. Like last year, Brian Dable seemed like such a cool cat and just seemed like he was on it. Like everything he did just turned to gold. And now this season, it's been a disaster and it kind of feels like Dable's feeling the heat. And I, you know, I, I don't totally get that, to be honest. It's only year two. They, you know, they, they made the playoffs last year. So yet it already seems like he's feeling it. So I'm um, not looking too good there for the Giants. It's been a horrible start to the season for the Giants as well. Simon. Let's see. Did did you did you get to shake your tail feathers a little bit? Which one do you feel good about? You you just picked two that you feel wrong on. That's I mean, there's like a handful you. here that I'm okay with. But, yeah, I was trying to give a hats off here to McVay and then just point out that the Giants, man, for 
I just didn't expect Dable to get to be teeing off of Daniel Jones like that because he's the guy, and, and that's probably it really when I think about it. Dable's the guy who would have had to say, hey, I want Jones back in order for them to pay and not trade him. So that's his guy, and for his guy to be making the money and then not living up to it, even though they know they're short on talent, that's probably what's kicking in there is, oh, crap, I'm looking bad here. So, you know, even though everybody understands the talent's not there, you're injured, you're banged up, Dable's probably feeling that, to be honest. That was, as you were as you were saying that the, the first time around, that was my thought, too. Like, he, he was probably the one in the meeting room saying, bring me Daniel Jones, and, and it's not going well so far. Yeah. All right, guys, anything else here from week five for you guys? No, sir. I think I'm done, man. Uh, we've, we've covered a lot of ground tonight, so I think I'm going to let it go at that. We've covered even more than usual, I think. All right, everybody. Thank you all so much for listening to another episode of the Stat Sheet Podcast. Make sure you're checking out all the podcasts on Box Score Network. Uh, we will be back to you next week, and enjoy your week and enjoy the football. Thanks again.